Hello and welcome to the Taste Uber Music Podcast. I'm Diana Lynn. After a 40-year career in corporate America, I took a huge U-turn and became a volunteer DJ on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Since 2010, I've been the host, programmer, and engineer of a weekly Americana Roots music show, The Tasty Brew. With this podcast, I'll be sharing conversations with artists and music industry insiders with the goal of entertaining and educating the listening audience, all while giving a voice to the music makers that are underserved or ignored by mainstream media. I receive dozens of new music submissions and requests for radio interviews every week. I do my best to respond to or sample them all. It doesn't take long to get way behind in the exercise. One such request for a phone interview came to me on behalf of the renowned fiddler in the Irish tradition, Martin Hayes. I had not heard of Martin, shame on me, and my direct contact with Irish traditional music was rather limited even though I had a basic understanding that most of so-called Americana and folk music was rooted in Irish and Celtic music forms. I've been to the massive Irish Fest and the Irish Center here in Kansas City. My local pub Conroy's even has live traditional Irish music from time to time. These touch points do not begin to honor what awaited me when I went down the Martin Hayes rabbit hole, diving into the stories, catalogs, and career of Martin and some of his colleagues, past and present. I'm so very glad I didn't scroll past the initial request and instead took the opportunity to spend some one-on-one time with a musician that, in his sphere of influence, should come to be compared to the likes of Miles Davis and Jimi Hendrix. Enjoy my conversation with the virtuoso player and the stellar human being, Ireland's Martin Hayes. And I'm lucky enough to have on the air with me Mr. Martin Hayes. Good morning. Hey, Diana. Is it still Hi. is it still morning where you are? It is, yeah. No, I'm in, I'm in Chicago, so it's, it's the same time of the morning for me as you. I have been really nervous about this conversation, and I'm not exactly sure why, because you, you come across in your videos and on YouTube as a, as a lovely person and, and certainly approachable, and so I'm so happy to, to have you with us on the radio this morning. So, you are out and about and touring again. Tell us a little bit about what it has been like to be back on the road? Well, it, it's really great because, I mean, th- th- there's one thing about music and it's lovely to play at home and we do enjoy playing it, Like, but, but when it's actually being received and you're in that, that moment and in that place, uh, music takes on a very different dimension, you know, and like, gosh, we've been in the last couple of years kind of missing that and, and apart from that, then there's also the experience, you know, that we have playing with other people and also and of course I'm doing a lot of solo work as well. But just the idea of being on the stage and filling the physical space with sound is, is just connecting with, with an audience. It's a lovely experience again. In preparation for talking to you today and actually attending your show on Monday night, I went down, you know, the rabbit hole as one does when you're not too sure of the subject matter. And shame on me for not, you know, being familiar with your catalog before. But I've been listening pretty much nonstop for the last three weeks. And it's just been a lovely exercise in listening, you know, active listening to the music and and understanding and realizing that it is such a source for the music that we call Americana or folk music here in in our own country. Uh, I'm wondering if you could explain to my listeners and, and to me, is there a real discernible or a great difference between Irish traditional music and Celtic music? Well, Celtic music is kind Kind of um, a broad kind of thing that that includes like Scottish and Welsh and music from Brittany and Galicia and the Isle of Man and all of that. And um, I suppose when we think about Irish music, we we have to think that of course 
Irish and Scottish music and British music are related, but uh, and particularly Irish and Scottish music, but they are just kind of dialects of each other, you know. And so we put the Celtic umbrella over the whole lot. But but in my case, I would have grown up specifically playing Irish melodies and, and Irish music, you know. So I would have thought of it as Irish music before I would have thought Celtic necessarily. But of course. The, the definition works, you know, either way. Thank you for that. So you did grow up in a musical family. Your father and your uncle are fiddlers, and you've taken on that tradition and kind of said goodbye to the family farm in favor of leading this musical life for the last 50 years or so. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You've had some amazing collaborations in multiple genres of music, including jazz and pop and, and rock. Are there any planned new collaborations? Well, I, I, I have um, I have a new band called the Common Ground Ensemble, like that, like it, it, the collaboration at its heart, you know, and uh, I've just done a few concerts with that, and that's also a band that's intended to um, be open to making collaborations between Irish music and other forms of music and other artists as we go along. Now, I don't know who that's going to be next, but certainly I'm like making the possibility available anyway. And so there will be, you know, collaborations coming down the road. But, you know, I've been kind of in a process of collaboration now for, for, for many years, you know, just taking Irish music and, and connecting and reaching out to other forms of music, you know, whether it's classical or jazz or indie music or whatever, you know, there, there are all kinds of uh, relationships to be had with, with Irish music and other forms, and primarily because Irish music is, in a sense, singularly a, a, a music of small and I think attractive and beautiful melodies. It's just melody. So it's it's the interaction of this melody with a, a kind of wider world of possibilities. I think you know it's what I've been kind of chasing for the last number of years. And when I listen to your music, Martin, I'm I'm curious. Do these songs have lyrics? Are they all instrumental? Is that is Not that all. No, by no. design? Some of, the, some of them do. One of the things that, you, especially the slower ones, uh, very often the slower do in fact have melody or do have lyrics. Um, but there's one thing that, that sometimes happens: they have sometimes more than one set of lyrics. You know, in one part of the country, there's one set of lyrics, and in another part, there may be a different set of lyrics. But all of the tunes, oddly enough, like for me, filter through the lens of, of being vocal or being song. So it would be in, in, like it would be common uh, for Irish musicians to lilt all. Of those tunes verbally to go you know we, we we sang these tunes so although many of the tunes wouldn't have lyrics they all feel like songs like vocal expressions to me you know i so get that because as i'm listening to the music in my house and it, it's sort of in the background but then there's something in the the meter or what i'm not a musician so i'm, I'm ignorant when i'm talking about meter and um, mm-hmm. th- that i identify oh that's the melody and that's what martin is playing that's what is that's what he's interpreting slightly differently perhaps than someone else that has played the same tune over the over the millennia and that is what has made my my listening so active how does one get the call to collaborate with someone like Sting or Paul Simon or Yo-Yo Ma or get the call to come play for the President Barack Obama of the United States. How does that happen? Yeah, well, I was I was in a shopping mall in, in West Hartford when I got this phone call from the social secretary of the White House and I gone, sorry, hello? <laughs> Who is this? <laughs> and, uh, and so, okay. Anyway, so, so, yeah, so it happens like that. And, you know, I think like recommendations happen in the background and your name might get bandied around. And the same, I got a call from Paul Simon one day. I'd never met him before. 
in my entire life, never spoken with him, but he had had dinner with some people and they were talking about my music and he started listening to it and he had a gig in, in Dublin. So he decided to call me up to ask me to come and guest on it. You know, that was, so it happens. And then the second time I turned up, Sting was there. And uh, actually, I had played with Sting in New York, actually, as part of an Irish Art Centre gala event one night, you know. But then I met him with Paul Simon then again on a tour later on and played on that one as well. But so it's just kind of, you know, just out of the blue, you know, I was I was, I was, was down in Asheville one day just playing a kitty or something and then I got a text from Ricky Skaggs, you know, he had an album and he liked one of the tunes and he wanted to talk to me about it, you know, so sometimes out of the blue just people reach out, you know. It's a, a combination, it sounds like a combination of serendipity and just being the go-to guy. You are now the six degrees of separation. If you need mm-hmm. a particular sound or a, a particular skill level, Martin Hayes yeah. is the guy that you need to call. Did you find during, now you live in Madrid now, is that correct? That, that's, that's correct, yeah. But you've lived in America, you've lived in Chicago, Seattle perhaps? Seattle, yeah, for a long time actually, like like 12 or 13 years in Seattle, and like 5 or 6 years in Connecticut, and then another few years in Ireland, and the last like 6 years in, in Madrid. So, well, so. I, I think that it's it's probably gives you a perspective that most people don't have, you know, on the, on the human condition and also our relationship to music. I'm interested personally in your archive. I've heard you talk about your archive in some of the conversations on YouTube. We have a a world-renowned sound archive here in Kansas City at our local university called the Mars Sound Archive whose focus is to to capture the American musical experience. It has about half a million items in it. Is the archive that I hear you talking about from Drawing from the Well, is that your personal archive? No, there is a traditional music archive in Dublin. It's quite amazing. Like It's made up of like collections from like professional collectors and from folklorists and whatnot but then as, as the years have evolved like private personal recordings and collections have been added to it so it's a huge collection of the tradition and but i have my own like little personal store of recordings because as a teenager i recorded a lot of the music that came in and out of my house when I was young and when visiting musicians came I recorded them <laughs> and uh, and then I actually even went around the locality myself recording some old musicians when I was a child so uh, I have a lot of like I was I was trying to collect the old music of my own locality as a teenager so I have picked up quite a lot of the melody that was there that probably wouldn't be there now otherwise you know Do you have plans to preserve and protect that archive? To, I to haven't s- really thought about it no I just kind of keep dipping into it I haven't uh, in my iTunes library now, or at least a lot of it, you know. I'm going to encourage you to do that because it would be a wonder- yeah. it would be a wonderful thing for future generations to have access to. Because I can yeah, I can only imagine. I'm a little bit older than you are, but when yeah. you were young, you know, in your teens and in your twenties, was there a real strong pull to abandon or not serve this music in favor of? of pop or rock music? Oh, overwhelmingly so, yeah. No, this was, um, this was like Irish music in the 60s and 70s was, it was similar to Appalachian music, you know, it was, it was, people knew about it, they knew it was there, but not many people were going towards it, you know, and it, it, like, they were going in every direction except that. So, yeah, there was, I mean, there was a revival movement going on for sure, but it was still very much a minority thing, and uh, people in my own generation, very few w- would have been engaged in the kind of thing that, that I doing, you know, that I was interested in. So I was 
fairly marginal, I think, you know, at that stage in my life. Uh, having family, your father and your uncle and others in this vein of music or in this tradition of music, did they discourage you from pursuing it as, as a lifelong choice? Did they want you to stay on the farm? Did they think this was folly for you to, to well, pursue like, this? Yeah, I thought it was folly. They didn't even have to tell me. Like, I mean, <laughs> it, it seemed like a, r- a ridiculous, ludicrous plan to imagine having a career making this music. So I give it zero consideration. It was many, many years later before uh, I died. So through all my early years, like playing music as a teenager up into my 20s, I had never conceived of being a full-time musician. You know, just was not on the spectrum of thought. I just didn't give it any thought. Did you go to university and study another another? I I did, yeah. I I, I went to university for like, like three years. And I didn't actually graduate. I, I dropped out eventually. But I was studying accounting and marketing and stuff like that. Oh. Uh, well, this wasn't really, really connected to who I was, you know. That's very important to know those things, though, if you're going to make this a part of your, you know, vocation. Uh, if, yeah, if for yeah. no other reason, so you can keep track of what other people are doing with your time and, and your money. Yeah, well, you know, it's a funny thing. Like, you, you know, every time the tax season comes around, you know, I, I'm, I'm reminded of how much I am not an accountant. No. You know, <laughs> how much, how hopelessly bad I would have been, you know, had I had I pursued that any further. Well, they do that by design. They they want to keep you off center all the time. Do you teach? Oh, and if you do, what does that look like? How, how does one take a lesson from Martin Hayes? During the pandemic, I, I, I did quite a bit of online teaching. In fact, I, I kind of, what I did was I filmed like a series of master classes, you know, about a half hour, 40 minutes long, just taking on different aspects of this music and making it available on Patreon for people to sign up. I, I do that. And I've been giving master classes all my life. You know, sometimes I would turn up in a city and there might be a kind of a request for a master class or something like that. And I would do a master class as a regular part of my touring schedule. And I would, even, even with the online thing, I also took some one-on-one students as well who wanted to kind of get further in you know, from, the, you know, it more than was in the, the master classes that I was producing online. But anyway, that so, so I do that. And I love teaching because teaching is learning. Teaching keeps you centered uh, on the thing you do. And, uh, and my teaching is heavily focused on getting into the real heart of the expression, you know, in music and, and learning how to access feeling in the expression of music. I take students fairly immediately down that path, you know. Do you include in your instruction what is now my favorite term that I just learned from you, wabasabi? Can you explain to my listeners the basic concept of wabasabi? Am I saying it correctly? Yeah, I mean, wabasabi is like a Japanese kind of concept. It's a a, a way of describing a certain set of aesthetics that we all have a certain affinity for. In other words, we have an affinity for used old antique furniture or or even worn clothing, like slightly degraded surfaces, natural natural things like, like wood, you know, like patina. stone, like like plants, water, natural degradation of things and deterioration has a certain beauty to it. And that sense of wabi-sabi, you know, which I'm giving a very, very vague description of, also was something that kind of felt like it was a, a useful way of describing old Ilampai playing and music and singing from the west of Ireland that had a kind of a rustic 
an unfinished quality and that had a kind of a, a unpretentious nature and a natural nature to it. And I thought that there was languages and ways of describing what was beautiful and all that that I thought we didn't actually have that language in the music and in our culture for expressing that. But I felt that the Japanese had that in, in a way that kind of felt like it was a good way to describe, a good analogy for describing the early forms of the music that I was very attracted to. You know? Well, I think that being familiar with the concepts of wabi-sabi helped me to understand and appreciate listening to my own recordings of all kinds of music, the the jazz and the big band. My mom was a big band singer. Uh, to understand that the cracks and the pops and, and some of the degradation, as you say, of the recordings, that's okay. Uh, it's absolutely the, a vinyl. It's, you can actually hear the vinyl sometimes you know it kind of makes you aware that the of the, the natural and flawed and, and and that's okay you know well the modern way seems to be a little gets to be more and more sterile where we all aspire to be audiophiles all of all of a sudden and that we want the recordings to be pristine and we don't want any deviation in the levels or anything like that and and yeah, so yeah, yeah. this concept really helped me understand and appreciate the recordings that, that I have and to not oh, that's and not to discount them because they yeah. they are beautiful. Yeah, I know it's true. It's true. I mean, one of the my early experiences was that uh, we had an old gramophone in my house, and my father's collection of old seventy eight recordings were there, and I spent a good bit of time with them and listening to them and playing them. And when you hear like a singer or a fiddle player on one of these recordings, you only hear a small spectrum of the sound. But in fact. What happens is it invites you to an imaginative response because now you actually begin to imagine that voice and you begin to imagine the sound of the fiddle in its completeness. And so you, it, it invites a different level of engagement. You know, it's like reading, you know, it, like it, it engages the imagination where, where we complete the picture. And so, you know, with listening to music on these old recordings, like for me, a kind of a, just a glimpse. And then my imagination kind of did the rest. If you're just joining this, this is Martin Hayes. Uh, we're on the phone from Chicago today. He is doing uh, a short little uh, run through the Midwest here. He's an, a fiddler in the Irish tradition and uh, lives in Madrid, Spain now and has been kind enough to take some time out of his day in anticipation of his coming to Kansas City for what is now a sold-out show at the 1900 building here in on the Kansas side of the Kansas City area. For the folks that are lucky enough to be able to attend Monday night's program, what is likely to be kind of the setup and the format? What what can we expect? Well, it's, it's going to be me with a fiddle um, in in that very nice space. It's a beautiful building. I mean, I'll have a set list, but I'll probably deviate like fairly fast from that. So a lot of it is what occurs to me in that moment and uh, the stories around each tune and the characters, the people, the personalities that I learned the music from, the, the thinking around the music, the folklore around the music. So I, w- I will talk about those things and, and try and place the music inside a a context where we can understand its origins, you know, and maybe experience it that way. So that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to doing, you know. And the Carbanks and Steve Carbank is a, a great music fan and supporter himself. So he, he one of his favorite musicians is a fiddle player who was a favorite of mine, Tommy Potts. So I'm sure I'll be going down that road a little bit and uh, talking about the music of Tommy Potts and talking about, you know, 
all kinds of experiences of my youth and how I think about it now as well. Let's talk about this fiddle of, of yours. Do you travel with more than one and how easy or difficult is it to, it, it's got to be easier to travel with than a guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it, 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 it fits in the overhead and, uh, you know, so I, I try to ensure as much priority boarding as possible onto mm-hmm. airplanes and whatnot, you know, so I only travel one fiddle, of course, but but I, I try to protect it as best I can. So, so in all the years of travel, I've never had to surrender it to the to the luggage cabin of the plane. So that's hopefully going to continue. Well, have you been to Kansas City before? It sounds like you have. I have, yeah, I have indeed, yeah, and uh, and I love that building, and I like uh, how you know Steve Carbank thinks about music, and like he's genuinely committed to supporting the arts. That's yes, yes, he is, and, and I can relate with with your comment about the playlist. You may or may not, or your set list. You may or may not stick mm-hmm. with it. My playlist every week when I'm on the radio starts out one way and quickly goes sideways without too much <laughs> trouble when someone calls in and you know wants to request something, or I just kind of like you say, go with the flow and the feeling of the music and, and, and change, change it up a little bit. Um, I notice on a lot of your recordings, there are tunes that are batched together, you know, where there will be two or three songs together. Yeah. What is that by tradition or by your own choice or, or how does how does that come to be? Well, traditionally, they, they, they were much shorter and smaller and like it would be three like dance tunes of similar nature, like three reels or three jigs or something like that, you know, would have been a common thing and it would last like three and a half, four minutes, you know. But some of my pieces last, you know, 10 and 15 and all the way up to 30 minutes long. And I think, like, maybe at some point I was listening to Indian music, which has those larger arcs. I was listening to symphonic music, which has larger arcs. I was listening to albums like Bitches Brew and Miles Davis and all of that. And a lot of those recordings had longer pieces of music as well. And, and they've also... So I just started this kind of process of making a kind of a pastiche of, of melodies, uh, just seeing if I could go on a journey. And one of the aims of those journeys was, was simply to lose myself and to uh, allow the feeling of one melody to impact the feeling of the next melody to impact how I played it and so on and so forth and to allow the energy to gather around it and so so that that's I think why I, I started putting those things together and and they're just kind of mix and match things you know where I, I just simply try things and some things don't work and other things and I just do like when it feels right then I do it you know it's just like a little mixtape you have to lose yeah, your exactly yeah. you, you have to lose your musical way sometimes to find yeah. the home base you know to, to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. get to the heart of the music who are some of the artists that we should be listening to in this vein? Are there some contemporary artists that you would recommend to my listeners? Yeah, I mean, there, there are, yeah. One young, younger musician that I've been playing with a bit over the years is a guy called Cormac Begley. He plays the concertina and uh, he's very interesting and I like what he does. I've been listening to a young singer, uh, singer in the Irish language and she plays the fiddle as well. Her name is Silogni Canavan. That uh, you know, I'll, I'll actually have to look that up myself. <laughs> but it's it's S A I L O G. Okay. Me 
Yeah, well, we'll listen. I'll listen back to the audio of this, and and uh, when I find it, I'll I'll make sure that I post it along with uh, the links to your home page on your website, and probably a couple of other links. I want to honor your time today because I know that you're you have a show tonight. Is it the at the folk uh, school? It's tonight? at the Old Town School of Folk Music, yeah, in Chicago. Here, yeah. I've chosen some songs to play. I've been playing uh, some Martin Hayes tunes now for the last month or so to, to try to prep people's ears oh, b- because there's so there's so much like I said of our traditional so-called traditional American roots music uh, from Appalachia and Cajun music that obviously has a Celtic and, and Irish traditional uh, root to it so the, the, it's not totally foreign to our ears a- at all I have chosen the Star of Munster Right. Brennan's real, and I'm going to murder the name of this tune. Let me see if I can get this out of my mouth correctly. Monasteroden, Monasteroden, fancy. Oh, oh, Monasteroden. Yeah, Monasteroden, yeah. fancy. Yeah, yeah. What, what's the difference between a reel and a jig? Well, the, the jig is a six eight. The the reel is four four. You know, it, you know, so it's just like it's like a different time signature. Like basically three and four. You know. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking really forward to meeting you in person Monday night, Martin, and again. I thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Jude, your your radio promoter person that I've been dealing with for the last couple of weeks has been a, it's been a total joy and a total pro. Uh, good on her for uh, making this happen. Uh, I wish, you, this is great. Yeah. I wish yeah. that I could meet her in person as well. The, uh, congratulations for a sold-out show on Monday night and safe travels. Well, thank you very much, Diana. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. Uh, okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.